Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. Good morning. A reading from Amos, chapter 7, verses 7 through 17. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, see, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of uh, Jeroboam with a sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, said to King Jeroboam of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the very center of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, earn your bread there, and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered Amaziah, I am no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I am a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. And the Lord took me from the following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall become a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be parceled out by line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. Good morning. Today's reading is Mark. Book 6, verses 14 to 29. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the Sapsifter has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah. Another said, it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, he is not lawful, for you have your brother's wife. 
and Heredioth had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girls, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask? And she replied, The head of John the Baptizer. Immediately, she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went out and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. Well, when his disciples heard about it, they came and took, took the body and laid it gently in a tomb. This is the word of God. Thanks be to the Lord. Good morning. Our reading from the writings of Swedenborg this morning comes from Apocalypse Explained, paragraph 11, part 3. With every man, the interiors that are of his thought and affection are opened successively, and this by a continuous influx out of heaven from the Lord. By this influx, the sensual that most nearly adheres to the body is first formed, and from this, man becomes sensual. Afterwards, the natural, from which he becomes natural. And after this, the rational, and with it, the spiritual, from which he becomes a rational and spiritual man. But this he becomes only so far as he thinks about God and about the divine things that are from God. And this is formed and perfected so far as he is affected by these things, that is, so far as he wills and lives according to them. If he does not do this, the spiritual man is opened in a general way, but is not formed, still less perfected. By the general opening of his spiritual man, man has the faculty of thinking and from thought of speaking rationally. This is the general effect of the influx of heaven with every man. 
This makes clear that man's thoughts and affections may be spiritual or natural, or also sensual, and that spiritual thoughts and affections are with those who think from God, respecting God and divine things. Here ends the reading. Herod was deeply grieved and did it anyway. It's kind of funny when you read that story, there seems to be more talking about why Herod didn't want to kill John the Baptist than the simple request of a person. And yet, Herod does it anyway. Kind of makes you think about how Herod made decisions, doesn't it? Thousands of years ago, builders started to notice a problem. They, they started to realize that as you built a wall and you got higher and higher, you looked down, right? You had scaffolding. They weren't using tall cranes. You had scaffolding. As you looked down, you had a natural tendency to build a wall that moved toward the edge. After all, like when you drive, you know, you, you go where you look. If you're looking over the edge trying to line something up, you have a tendency to build a wall that goes that way. Any idea what eventually happens if you build a wall like that? It falls. So they ask themselves the question, how do we stop our wall from pitching? And someone came up with the very clever idea of a plumb bob. And since I do not own a plumb bob, I made sure to put multiple pictures in the bulletin of what a plumb bob is. It is basically a, head, a heavy lead weight on the end of the string. And for anybody who cares about etymology, plumb goes back to the word for lead, which is the same root as plumber because we used to plumb pipes with lead. We were smart like that. So it's just basically a piece of string that you can measure from the top to the bottom of an object to make sure that the row of bricks or stones that you are laying is the same distance away at the top and at the bottom. It helps make up for a lack of clear perspective. Now I'm assuming that most of us, when we think about scripture and so forth, we, you know, we, we, we kind of imagine Jesus walking through the wilderness, talking to crowds of disciples. We think of maybe being on top of mountains and Ten Commandments. I'm not sure how many of us know the degree to which the Bible talks about building and building codes. There are hundreds upon hundreds of references to building construction and building materials and the proper way to build things. The Bible is full of statements, and I think most everyone knows the most famous. Which, well, I was thinking more about where you build a house. You don't build a house on sand, you build it on rock. 
right? But yes, there are instructions for how to build the ark. There's instructions for how, how to build the altar. There are instructions for how to build lampstands from within the temple. There are instructions on how to build so many different things. You see, in, in Scripture, they understood this not to actually be a way of transmitting building knowledge. They understood this, that everyone understood that building was about building your soul, building a good life. To this date, we still use these analogies of building when we talk about educating children and leading a good life. We use concepts of the watchtower and so forth, about proper fortifications and walls. And, and after the invention of science fiction, we, we use the term shield much more, right? We have to raise our shields. But even the, the idea of self-protection, what does it mean for us to put up barriers? All of these things are, have construction analogies in scripture. Our gospel reading, John the Baptist, even though Herod had arrested him, Herod still had a good foundation. Herod still understood on the foundation level that John was a holy man. It does not matter how good your foundation is if your walls are bad. Herod understood and did things to protect John the Baptist. But since his wall was bad, it didn't matter that he knew the truth. And so he had John the Baptist beheaded. Emmanuel Swedenborg talks about spiritual growth and regeneration, and he talks about it in terms of all these different levels. Anyone get confused in the reading today with all the different le levels, the heavenly or celestial, the all these different levels. And, and what Swedenborg said is, hey, we can all talk a good game. We can all talk like spiritual people. We can all talk like loving and good people. The question is, are we going to do it? You see, a good foundation means that we can talk the talk because we have learned what we need to do. Good walls are about who are we actively going to let in and out of our city. What are the things that we know that we're actually going to enforce to live good lives? It is easy for us to sit down and contemplate about who is in charge of the universe, right? We can all say, it's God, right? I'm not in charge of the universe. I can't make planets go around or... We can easily say, I didn't create everything. God, God created everything. We can easily give credit to God for the glorious things of creation because we can look at them with awe and with wonder. But the question is, what happens when that knowledge hits our daily life? We tend to do something very different. We can sit there in awe and Look at the beauty of the world and say, look at what God has done. But when it gets in our way, it's our image that is more important than God's plan. You see, we were made in God's image, but rather than look at 
the reason why God made us and what God calls us to do, we tend to want what we want when we want it. We understand ourselves to be God. Very often, I do not hear a discussion involving, gosh, this problem exists. Why is God allowing that problem to exist? Instead, we say, I am going to make sure that my picture of the world is what wins the day. Rarely do we seek to understand how it is that God is breaking the rules of our political boundaries, right? Like with the movement of people. We claim what citizenship is because we have a bunch of people who wrote laws, but people are moving and shifting in countries in interesting and unique ways. And we are not asking, why is God allowing these people to cross borders? We just claim that our borders, which are man-made, are more important than the travesties of human rights that are happening throughout the world. We, we think that people are leaving their homes because the money's better in the United States versus our homes are being overrun and destroyed in other countries. We don't ask the reasons why. We just try and create the boundaries we want. What if God's creation were a restaurant? Right, this is the way I look at it. It's really like pay, people going, oh, I've heard that restaurant is so great. Let's go there. And then they go there, and then they're upset that they don't like anything on the menu. And they say, oh, for, forget that great food. All I want is chicken fingers. I'm picking on my daughter. <clears throat> It's, it's about what we want. We don't even want to accept the beauty of creation when it doesn't fit what it is that we want. But we can't change necessarily on our own the political boundaries. We cannot change the way in which God created the world. What we can do is adjust ourselves, and that's where the plumb bob is the most important. You see, it is changing ourselves that the plumb bob helps us. And I am not talking about the person who does the right thing out in public. I believe that it's relatively easy to be a good person when you bump into other people, right? When you're walking down the street and you start doing something weird and someone calls you on it and says, hey, don't do that, you're like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Didn't realize anyone was there. You know, when you're spreading pesticides all over your neighbor's lawn, guess what your neighbor does? Comes over and says, what, 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 why are you doing that to my lawn? And you, oh, sorry, I didn't realize that line was there. Let me, I'll stop doing that. It's, when we bump into other people, it's easy to be good because they remind us. The real question I have is what keeps you good when you are alone? See, that's the question of perspective that's being talked about with this plumb bob. When you are by yourself, when nobody will hold you accountable, what do you do? Do you sweep the dirt under the rug because you don't want to walk into the other room to get the dustpan? 
Do you not make your bed in the morning? Because it's easier to not make your bed? I was once part of a board that had a real estate issue. We were selling some property, and that property was worth millions of dollars. Somebody said, do you think it's a good idea to sell the property? And I went, well, it's not a good idea to keep the property, so we need to sell it because we can't afford the property anymore. And it's just, it's dragging us down. But my, my fear is very simple. My fear is that we are not spiritually ready to have the money from the sale. So we created all of these plans that we were only going to use the money from the sale for certain things. The next meeting of that board after I was no longer on it, half of the board members voted to increase their salaries from the sale of that property. They weren't doing anything illegal, by the way. But was it right? Where was their plumb bob? What were they using as a way of justifying right action and right behavior? I would like to think that as a minister, and people have asked me this question, as a minister, do you think you're better than other people? I don't think that's the case. I think as a minister, it means that I have made promises and obligations to live my life in a way that does set me apart from the average person that does not make those statements. I have a four-page code of ethics that I'm not allowed to violate, right? That's my ethical covenant that I have with my ordaining tradition. I have promises that I have made this church about what I will and will not do. I have a whole series of obligations that maybe nobody else in this room has directly because of other organizations that I'm a member of. These obligations, these promises, these codes of conduct that in theory are based in scripture are a plumb bob. They are a line that helps me with the perspective. I can go to these things and ask myself, is this the right thing to do? I made a promise to act a certain way. Is this within my promises? Our obligations, our obligations are plumb bobs that help us adjust our perspective. In theory, by joining this community, we have a behavioral covenant. A behavioral covenant is an example of a plumb bob that helps us in the middle of a discussion correct our perspective so our wall does not topple over. We have a commitment within this church to actively respect those people who disagree with us. That's powerful. The members of this church in this community have a plumb bob that says, before I talk, I should understand. How do we incorporate the plumb bobs that we have signed on to into our lives? What does it mean if when we're alone, we do not do that? Who are we If in the closet, or by ourselves, we are not willing to live up to the commitments 
that we have made. I like to think that the plumb bob is a spiritual connection between heaven and earth as, as maybe the top of the wall might be God and, and the weight is what we can see whether or not it's shifting and moving. What is it that helps us stay justified and right? What are the commitments we have made to become the people we want to be? What are the times when it's okay to violate those commitments? This church, in addition to scripture, also has the theological writings of Emanuel Swedenborg, and the bylaws state that there are certain values from those writings that we want to incorporate in our lives. These are plumb bobs for us when we make decisions. These are things that we can help correct our misunderstandings. Was anyone just really, really disturbed when they heard the reading from Amos this morning? It's a really nasty reading, isn't it? It talks about a God laying waste and destroying things. It talks about the destruction of high places and temples being laid to waste. Is that a loving God in your mind? Here's what I'm willing to postulate. The temples that were built on those mountains, the things that are being laid to waste, are not a part of God's creation. The things that are being laid to waste in this story are the parts of creation that we are trying to make in our own image. And what God is telling you is that if you choose to put your way ahead of God's way, you're building a bad wall. Like the Tower of Babel, the tower's going to crumble. And then God will replace it. God will replace the temples that are destroyed and the mountaintops that are laid to waste and the people that have been pushed out of their homes. They will be restored but they will be restored in a new and more powerful way, a way that understands that, yes, what we do matters. It's not what we know. It's not what we say in the temple. It's what we do when we leave the temple. It's about what we do when we're alone. It's about what we do when we sweep the dirt under the rug or make that special exception just this once. May we as individuals, may we as a church community and a country and all of humanity find a plumb bob that we can hold on to, examine and use, even by ourselves, that will create peace and justice throughout all creation. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowdoin Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.